it's really figuring out quality and quantity and uh it's really making sure that the diet has consistently whole unprocessed foods in it and then making sure that we're not eating too much and we're all at a different point in that spectrum right so some of us you know you you can kind of continue on that spectrum forever of like kind of keep making changes or if you hit a rough patch in your life for job stress life family whatever that you just have to recommit and shoot do most of my meals look like real food and am i not eating too much and that's sort of my belief for the 99% that we all, I'm there. I mean, I'm pretty into this and I still, I'm like, okay, I got to recommit to doing better on eating whole unpressed foods and, oh, I can't eat too much. So that's really my belief in just having people understand that in their diet and not trying to do anything fancy, but just kind of understand, okay, yeah, I went out on the weekend and had too much. That, that was too much. I can't do that every weekend, that type of thing. And, This is episode number 95 with E.C. Sinkowski. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I got to sit down with E.C. Sinkowski, who you may know as the founder of Optimize Me Nutrition, as well as the 800 Gram Challenge. We talked about all things nutrition in this episode, and I had a blast chatting with her. A little bit about E.C. if you don't know her already. She has been in the CrossFit world since 2006, serving as a member of the seminar staff, a flow master, as well as the CrossFit training program manager up until 2017. At that time, EC turned her focus to completing her second master's degree in human nutrition and functional medicine, as well as founding her company, Optimize Me Nutrition. Optimize Me focuses on helping individuals understand nutrition physiology and its day-to-day application. We covered a lot in this conversation, from EC's personal story to the importance of food quality and quantity, nutrition for the 99%. We also, of course, touched on ketosis, macro tracking, fasting, supplements, you name it. We took some time as well to answer some questions that you all had submitted, so make sure you listen to the very end. A few reminders before we get started. First, this episode is brought to you by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, the best workout tracking in the biz and the one I've been using since 2009. Learn more at beyondthewhiteboard.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. It really does make a difference and help get the podcast out to more people. I'm always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started with episode number 95 of Pursuing Health featuring E.C. Sinkowski. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with E.C. Sinkowski. We are here in Cleveland, and I can't wait to get started talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. 
Awesome. Well, for people who are not familiar with you, I wanted to start with a little bit of your background mm-hmm. um, and probably a lot of things that I don't even know about you. So maybe you could start off with just when you were younger, things you were interested in. I know you had a, a synchronized swimming stint. <laughs> we could get into that. That's right. Um, but yeah, what were you into when you were younger and then how did you end up into fitness and nutrition? Sure. Um, definitely interested in athletics growing up. Um, eight years in synchronized swimming. Wow. So that's sort of my claim. So amazing. <laughs> Which I, it's always one of those fun facts that you share about yourself yes. at those intros. Um, and then just different sports. Lacrosse was my main deal because I'm okay. from Maryland. And so that's always big there. And field hockey. Um, so always interested in athletics. Okay. And uh, yeah, that continued through college, although I was more interested in academics at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, did an undergrad in biochem engineering. And then a first master's in environmental sciences, um, oh, but wow. still always keeping, you know, going to the gym five days a week, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that led into an environmental consulting career, um, helped kind of prepare an expert witness for environmental litigation cases for seven years. Wow. Um, so that was all that environmental engineering. But that's when I was still doing the Globo gym routine and getting right. a little bit sick of it and all of that stuff. And my brother actually is the one who stumbled into the CrossFit website coming back from uh, knee surgery and knew I was athletic, all that stuff. I was like, you should check this out. And um, I did. And of course, you know, not at first. (laughs) You didn't like it at first. Yeah. I don't, I I think one of the, yeah, the website when I looked at it, it was the seven by one deadlift day or something, you know, so. okay. Not the most fun first workout (laughs) Right. Right. You know, you're just like, okay. Um, But then finally, I was just so sick of my routine that I was like, what's that CrossFit thing? I got to find it. Mm -hmm. So January 2nd, 2006 was my first CrossFit workout. Um, Boston had one of the earliest affiliates. Okay. So I was, uh, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta switch my routine and I'm going to do it in the new year. Yeah. New year. January 2nd. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the affiliate? CrossFit Boston. Oh, okay. I think they were, um, you know, within the top 15 because mm-hmm. they started late 2005. So I was there right in early 2006 and first workout was Grace. Wow. And uh, yeah, so that's that's then kind of my starting in the crosses field. And of course that continued even while I was doing environmental consulting, but continued to grow into a different position with them. Sure. And then, I mean, you ended up having a huge position within CrossFit. So how did that develop and how did you decide to move from the environmental consulting work you were doing into a full-time CrossFit right. career. Yeah. So lucky enough back in 2006, um, that kind of transitioned into the seminar staff position. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I think it's hard for people to quite understand what the community was like, mm-hmm. but there weren't local throwdowns. There weren't affiliates everywhere. There wasn't a rogue fitness, you know, there weren't, right. weren't the games. And so what you did is you went to the level one. That was, that's how you met people. That's how you met yeah. people. And that's how you knew people in the community. So I kept showing up at the level one. <laughs> <laughs> Every weekend. They're like, where is right, this girl? Right, I know. <laughs> when is she going to go away? <laughs> and of course, at that time, you know, they were three months apart and they weren't multiple a weekend. Right. So it, it wasn't every weekend. But yeah, I mean, you're just great. It's in Toronto or great. It's in Pittsburgh or great. It's in Santa Cruz. I'm mm-hmm. going, you know. And um, so that's really what led to my position on the seminar staff. You know, I kept showing up for them and they're like, oh, OK, she might be interested. And, <laughs> and it wasn't quite the same process that we, mm-hmm. we know it to be now. Um, so that led to the part time work on the weekends. Okay. 
and did that for years as that continued to grow. And it was probably 2010 or so I started doing some admin work for Nicole and Dave okay. um, just in the training department. And that, I think, eventually grew to a part where they were able to bring on a full-time staff member. And mm-hmm. it was really for content, you mm-hmm. know, with the with the seminar course material and not just the level one, but beyond that. Mm-hmm. And that must have been 2011. So that's when I switched out of environmental consulting and was okay. doing the CrossFit um, program manager position full time and then mm-hmm. still also working on the weekends as well. And uh, it was great. I mean, of course, it's when CrossFit was just growing still is, but of course yeah. it was growing exponentially and it's just a lot of different stuff and being part of that process and, and seeing it grow and help implement the courses and accreditation and translation and projects just on the software um, IT front just to help the whole operation department run mm-hmm. all of that stuff um, and then I resigned from them uh, about a year ago and that's when I was finishing my second master's in nutrition and functional medicine amazing and I know even throughout CrossFit you always kind of had a special place in your heart for nutrition and people would always go to you for nutrition advice so when did that spark sort of start and then how did you gradually build your nutrition knowledge and experience yeah I mean my undergrad was in uh, like I said biochem Mm -hmm. engineering so I had a lot of the the biology and the orgochem and all of that stuff the biochem and then my master's had a focus in genetics, even though it was environmental science. Um, It was looking at plant genetics, actually. (laughs) And so I always had this love of the biological Mm -hmm. sciences. I guess just understanding us better, right? Yeah. And then, of course, like being, liking to be active and stay in sports, you know, nutrition is kind of a natural fit. So when I started CrossFit and, you know, like everyone else, oh my gosh, I've been eating wrong for years. Mm -hmm. You know, that's probably when it was really like, I like this nutrition thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I can still remember being at my first level one and hearing, you know, Rob Wolf give the nutrition lecture yeah. and, oh my gosh, you know, everything I knew was wrong. Mind blown, <laughs> yes. Um, so that, all of that <laughs> moment, the first, yeah. mine was the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum. <laughs> it was just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just, okay, that's not yeah. what I thought it was, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's when I really started. And I actually thought about doing another program, mm-hmm. um, even when I was 27 or so. And I just, you know, I don't know why they pushed it aside or didn't find the right program mm-hmm. or not right now. So just continued to work with nutrition within the CrossFit space, which of course they have a very foundation of nutrition to mm-hmm. their program. So there, it was, it was great. And then eventually I was just like, no, I, I really like this. I kind of want to kind of want to pursue this more mm-hmm. like commit to it. So that's what launched them the degree. Amazing. And tell us a little bit about that degree. Um, I know one of my previous guests, Umaro, who's from, Denmark, I believe. I may be getting this wrong, but I believe he's Danish. Um, He had also talked about he's gone through the same program and and did a little bit of teaching there. And so I've heard great things about it. But can you tell us how you found it, how you decided that that was the right program to go with? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the program I did was University of Western States. Mm -hmm. It's a two year program in nutrition and functional medicine. And um, I don't exactly know. I think I was just continuing to look at programs. And I think what had happened prior when I was looking at programs, either to be an RD or, or something else. I, when I look at the courses, I was like, this doesn't really speak to what mm-hmm. I'm interested in. I just remember seeing this program's class list and I was like autoimmunity and hormone imbalances mm-hmm. and GI. And I was like, this is it. This is what I've been wanting to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how I stumbled into it. That's actually a great question. But I remember though, 
by the time I found the program and realized I was super into it, I ha- or interested, I had about a week until the next quarter was starting. Oh wow, it's a quick decision. <laughs> and I was talking to somebody at the time, just I don't know, and they said, you know what, just start, just start, and mm-hmm. if you don't like it, you just don't finish it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, that's a great approach because I could hem and haw for years. Sure. And so yeah, I just got all my you know official transcripts together yeah, and whatever application cool. <laughs> together, and just said, let me just start and see what happens. And then of course, really enjoyed it and just did it full time straight through. So I was able to finish, you know, I guess whatever that is, uh, just under two years. That's amazing. Um, and how about your own personal nutrition over the course of you know maybe what it was like when you were younger playing sports, and then how it evolved with CrossFit and where you're at now? Yeah. You know, I, I probably, not probably, was um, higher carb, lower protein, lower fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that continued, of course, until my first CrossFit level one nutrition lecture in which I was like, okay, let's do a more balanced macronutrient <laughs> approach. And then I think I've gone down probably all the paths that people are still going down today yeah. and, you know, super strict paleo and uh, autoimmune protocol and zone and and, you know, super low carb. And I think now after all this I've just sort of settled back to yeah that that balanced approach of quality and quantity is pretty Mm -hmm. good with no real I guess hard line in the sand about nutrition as long as we're trending towards appropriate quality and quantity Mm -hmm. that's where I've ended up personally and that's where I like to recommend people continue to look for in their in their approach nutrition so on that note, let's talk about that. I know I noticed on your website. So also in this process, after going back and getting your master's, you've now started Optimize Me Nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about exactly what yeah. what that is. Yeah, I founded Optimize Me Nutrition originally with the intent to do one-on-one consulting. And I think I might do some of that, um, but I really decided that I want to focus on general nutrition, mm-hmm. education, and content. And really help people understand the context for the nutrition choices and just, I guess, making sense of all the nutrition information out there because I feel people feel like there's so many different views and they get confused and I just want to be kind of a voice for them to understand that mm-hmm. and really be a voice for people um, kind of to recommit to the basics. Mm-hmm. Always come back to diet quality, diet quantity, stress, sleep, exercise. I mean, just keep kind of hammering that so that's really the focus and then just using different platforms to um, get that nutrition education or that content out there and I know you have amazing content by the way but (laughs) also I noticed you have um, a little pdf that talks about nutrition for the 99 percent yeah which I absolutely love um, because so many people have you know so many specific questions and things they want to try but you know, I do think that there are some basic things that we can all live by and most of us can benefit by, although nutrition is very individual. Sure. Um, so take us through that. What do you think is the best way to approach nutrition for the 99% of the population? Yeah, it's it's really figuring out quality and quantity. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really making sure that the diet has consistently whole unprocessed foods in it and then making sure that we're not eating too much. And we're all at a different point in that spectrum, right? So some of us, you know, you you can kind of continue on that spectrum forever of like kind of keep making changes or if you hit a rough patch in your life for job, stress, life, Mm -hmm. family, whatever, that you just have to recommit and shoot, do most of my meals look like real food and am I not eating too much? And that's sort of my belief for the 99% that we all, I'm there. I mean, I'm pretty into this and I still, I'm like, okay, I got to recommit to 
doing better on eating whole unpressed foods and oh I can't eat too much so that's really my belief in just having people understand that in their diet and not trying to do anything fancy but just kind of understand okay yeah I went out on the weekend and had too much that that was too much (laughs) I can't do that every weekend that type of thing and so that's really what that pdf speaks to um that reminds me of that Michael Pollan quote which I love that's eat eat real food mostly plants not too much perfect don't make it too difficult. Perfect. Um, okay, so let's dive in now a little bit. I wanted to dive into some details. So let's start with um, with just quality. So you mentioned quality and quantity. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe we can pick. Which one do you generally start with if you have someone coming to you for advice or your general population that you're trying to reach? Do you start with one or the other? Does it matter based on the person? Or what's your approach? Yeah, I, I kind of let the person... Um, guide me a little bit Mm -hmm. and it's I sometimes I often feel like the person already knows what they need to do and 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 they just want a sounding board which is great and I I love being there for that but a lot of times they'll come to me and they'll say oh you know I've really I've really just started having more wine and cheese at night and I've put on some weight and I'm not sure what's going on and I'm like well we just told yourself (laughs) yeah you just told yourself what it was and now we have to figure out how can we back that off and whether or not it's a full elimination or whether or not it's tracking macros and sort of understand what's really going to fit with their lifestyle so Mm -hmm. I kind of just listen to them kind of identify some key points and then figure out okay what can we put in place that's really sustainable and I I really think I took that from Berardi who he really approaches the psychology of eating a lot mm-hmm. with his clients from, from what I understand of read. And, and he really tries to pick goals that the, that the client almost think are too easy mm-hmm. with the idea to kind of build success. Momentum, and so, yeah. yeah. And it's like, we're not going to leap for the fences here. We're just going to make a small change that you're like, yeah, I can do that. And maybe that's not buy wine or maybe that's, you know, have carrots instead of mm-hmm. cheese. I don't know what it is, but it's talking with the person to figure out, okay, Hey, we've identified these one or two issues. How can we make small changes mm-hmm. to them? I love that. And I think that's so pertinent, especially to this population of CrossFitters because, and I notice it myself, so many of us are people who want to be high achieving. They have this, you know, almost perfection type of attitude. And so it can be easy to just try to aim for perfection and then you get nowhere Mm -hmm. versus starting with these really small things that then you can gain momentum and start to refine and make progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. We can all do a little <laughs> bit better on that, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tough because you, I, the CrossFit community is amazing. You have all these people that are, like you said, they're super hardworking and they're yeah. super interested in this stuff. And it's this amazing population. And it's sometimes I almost feel like it's almost calming that down a little bit. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's like, okay, we don't have to worry about perfection all the time. Right. I think that, and as you mentioned, the psychological and the um, emotional aspects that surround eating are very important too that I think people don't realize even just taking time you know making sure that you're being mindful when you're eating that you're not distracted all of those things have a huge impact totally yeah um okay and I love to approaching you know based on what the person's goal is I think that's super important so say we're talking about food quality um we want to eat whole foods unprocessed foods um what are your thoughts around eliminating certain food groups or finding, you know, for an individual, what food groups they might do better without. Yeah. I mean, I think there's self-experimentation is always great. Mm -hmm. Elimination diets can be super useful. I think some of the phrasing around some of those diets, we need to just be a little bit cautious with that. Great. I don't know, take out potatoes or take out beans or Mm -hmm. take out corn. Yeah. Give it a shot. See what happens. But I do think there's a little bit of messaging around them that 
they are so harmful and you must take them out and they cause all these problems. And I think that's where the negative thing is that, you know, people start to stress about them because they read that somebody said that they're harmful versus Mm -hmm. really being able to say, oh, I think the corn is fine. And I I don't think the green bean is causing any of these, uh, (laughs) you know, food sensitivity issues. So that's my concern with it. I love that people want to experiment and try new things. Uh, I've done it, you know, I've taken all that stuff out, but then really taking an honest look and thinking, well, you know, I, it's fine with them in (laughs) versus so-and-so said that they're harmful and now I'm scared to eat them. Right. And doing a true test. Like, did you truly eliminate it Mm -hmm. for a period of time? Did you, you know, Mm -hmm. add it back in one thing at a time and are you actually having some sort of negative response or is it because you're worried about it or because someone told you? Exactly. That's, you know, that's a really great point. Yeah. A hundred percent. Another issue when it comes to food quality, I think is, this big discussion about animal versus plant foods, um, you know, are, you know, what is the right amount of, of animal products to be incorporating into our diet? Sure. How do you approach that or what's your general philosophy? Yeah. I mean, I think some of those questions we're never really going to know for each person, what was the perfect amount, right? I mean, we just can't based on genetics to really be able to a hundred percent know, I do think there's a pretty good trend in the literature that, that plant matter is beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean high carb. That can still be low carb. Um, but yeah, I think there's some common ground with fruits and vegetables <laughs> are yeah. are good for us. And so that is something that I, that I think people should have in their diet. When people get too extreme of cutting all of that out, um, I don't want to say that the research is conclusive there, but I think there's more trending towards the direction of plant matter is good for us. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things in plants that we don't totally know their effect. You know, phytochemicals come to mind Um, that eliminating them, I think is more risky than including them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The more plants, the better. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to say vegetarian (laughs) by any means. I definitely eat meat and support eating meat for protein consumption and athletic performance and all Mm -hmm. of that stuff. Um, But it can be also done with a healthy amount of plant matter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What about um, what about the importance of eating foods that are non-GMO or that are organic right. or animal products that are, you know, grass-fed, sure. um, antibiotic-free, things like that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think first make an honest assessment if, the quality is consistent. You know, if if you're still eating processed foods at most of your meals, organic is not where we need to be focusing our attention, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you have the ability to focus on that or if that fits in the budget or if it fits with just accessibility, mm-hmm. great. I think, I think definitely include it. But I also don't think it should become to that obsessive point either. When you right. start to worry about going out to a restaurant that might not have organic food, I think we're at a, we're at a problem there just from the neuroses that it creates. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's kind of one of the big factors we first have to look at at diet. It's one of those things that maybe we finely tune things as we progress. Absolutely. We were talking earlier about just getting all those big pieces in line first um, and making sure that before you go into any of these details, like the organic or like the, you know, the fine details of, yeah, that you have all those big things in place. Totally. So kind of like you mentioned starting with the big things like whole and processed foods and then refining more into you know what certain foods may you want to eliminate using an elimination diet where are you getting your foods are you eating local all those totally all those things come into play then later on exactly love it um okay let's move into a little bit about 
quantity yeah because this is a very big <laughs> topic and everyone now yes. is tracking their macros yep and there are so many different ways i mean even just this past week i believe it was there was a study in the lancet about low carbohydrate diets or sorry yeah low carbohydrate diets having increased mortality rates and we get back and forth we get advice about every possible macronutrient yep. breakdown where do we start? Number one, is it important to track our nutrients? And two, if so, where do we start? Yeah, um, it's important to track our nutrients. Depends. I'm, one of the phrases I like to kind of say is that there are diminishing returns on attaining perfection. So when you track macros to the gram level of protein, carbon, fat every day, um, that takes a lot of work and that it's takes a lot, a lot of work. Yeah, it takes, <laughs> it takes a lot of work and I don't do it every day. Mm -hmm. And just merely cause of the fact it takes a lot of, uh, work and effort. Mm -hmm. That does mean though, that you're more likely to see that ideal body composition you want because you're putting in that final extra, you know, 10% or whatever it is. Um, so do you have to track your intake? If you want to look like somebody who tracks their intake, then yes, you have to track your intake. I think I saw that on Own Your Eating lately. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point. Like if you want to look like somebody who came out of a catalog for muscle and fitness yeah. or is a CrossFit Games athlete, you're going to have to be very concerned about your intake to that gram level. Mm -hmm. But I think with some education and with some maybe tracking for a couple weeks or a month, you can get some pretty good understanding without necessarily always having to do that every day. Mm -hmm. General balanced macronutrient plates eating three to five meals a day is always a good kind of recommendation. Smaller women towards the three, large men towards the five, assuming we're in the, the recreational athlete, per, mm -hmm. you know, type of volume for work, um, for working out. And that's just a great kind of great place to start. And you might not have to get obsessive to the gram. I don't want to say obsessive. I think mm -hmm. the macros trend can be very healthy for people, but mm -hmm. just recognizing that that level of precision does also come with more work. And, and maybe that's not what everybody wants to do. Sure. And is it something that you want to continue to do for the rest of your life? Or is it something that you do for a short period? Or if you have, you know, a certain reason to do it for a month or two, then Perfect. that's different. But and I think I think the point you brought up about perfection is very good too because I think it does you know the more that you're thinking it makes you constantly think about it throughout the day mm -hmm. I've noticed when I've done it you know I'm constantly worrying about oh my gosh I just had this piece of gum that has like two <laughs> carbs and do I have to track this and so it's a little bit obsessive and I I just see myself going into habits that maybe aren't necessarily the most healthy sure yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. If people want to have the six-pack abs, sure, we've got our genetic outliers who can do that without tracking. But for the most of us, we're going to have to track. We're going to mm -hmm. have to be very specific in our diets. But know that that comes with a high level of attention. And if you're somebody who trends towards getting a little too obsessive, it's probably not the best fit diet for you. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that it won't be effective in achieving the body composition you want. But we also then have to recognize the psychological side of it. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Um, the other side of it is, I think now we're getting all into the psychology of it, but the other side of it is the kind of cycle that goes when you feel like you've fallen off track. Yeah. So say you're supposed to, you know, you think you're supposed to stick to this certain macros. You don't, there's this kind of feeling of guilt and then you have to start over and, you know, I'm, fa I'm failing and, um, I think that can happen whether or not you're tracking macros, just in general, falling off your kind of. Routine diet routine diet, yeah. um do you have any advice that you you give people when it comes to that 
yeah, I mean, I think we also definitely a couple of things. One, we always have to keep the long term in mind, right? Like just because you messed up your macros today doesn't mean that you'll never achieve the body composition you want or you're totally a terrible person or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, it's just like missing a workout. Well, you just go the next day, right? right. So it's just, you just get back in it the, the next day. But I do really like thinking about diets um, from the perspective of sustainability and also restriction. I, I, you know, and I know we'll, we'll talk about the 800 gram challenge, but one of the reasons when I was designing that was purposely without these super hyper obsessed, you know, rules that are mm-hmm. super strict because I don't see that that plays out in the long term. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, I'm, I'm pretty into this stuff and I'm not super hyper obsessive about mm-hmm. everything. So how can we expect anybody to want to do that? And right. I, so I think that's something to keep in mind too. Like, are you trying to instill um, a habit or a lifestyle that just isn't for you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a question that I get from people a lot is, you know, we're getting all this conflicting advice from so many places and I'm just an average person. I like to do CrossFit. I want to be healthy. I want to live a long functional life. Um, what is the approach that I should take? I don't want to follow, you know, a specific challenge or diet every single month of the year, but what is the general advice or approach? Yeah. And that's where I really like to then dive into their details. Well, let me see what your diet looks like. Just take pictures of your last, you know, your last couple days and send them to me and then we can make tweaks from there. And, um, it's going to be probably include more fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. and it's probably (laughs) going to be don't eat less, you know, eat less of the processed things. Um, and to get those balanced kind of general macronutrient plates and, and that's it. But, you know, it might be for this person removing, I don't know, um, the going out with the friends. Mm-hmm. And for the other person, it might be cutting back on, I don't know, all the extra fat they have in their diet. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's going to look different for each person, but the trends are of quality and quantity are always there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other question that I've been getting a lot and that I know is a very hot topic these days is about ketogenic diet. So when we talk about quantity, we can go with so many extremes. Like obviously we, I think can all agree. We don't want to go with a super high carb diet. Um, most of us, um, but then there's these other extremes. Like you can go all the way into a very high protein, like a protein sparing modified fast Mm -hmm. diet, or you can go all the way into very high fat, like ketogenic diet. Um, is there a role for that in in the general population or what are your what are your, what is your take on this Keto. recent interest in the ketogenic diet? I was saying somebody was asking about current nutrition trends in CrossFit. And I said, you know, we're in a washing machine. I feel like these things come back around yeah. a lot, right? So I feel like we've been in a keto phase before and it's back again. It's back. Um I do think there's a great application for keto. I mean, specifically highly insulin resistant people come to mind. Um people that want to lose a lot of weight you know, um, mm-hmm. diabetic population, something, something like that seems to be a context where it sort of, you know, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is a bunch of people kind of in the CrossFit space who are lean, very active CrossFitters and they want to do keto. And I'm, I'm not sure why, um, you know, coming back to that sustainability idea, it's any of these diets where that are extreme. It's like, well, what does this look like in three months, six months, a year? I mean, is this really how you think that you're going to want to sustain your diet. So I think that's always a good kind of check-in point. Um, so from that standpoint, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the keto diet. Um, I don't think that many people are going to stay in ketosis, especially mm-hmm. in CrossFit for a long period of time. I also have concerns about the microbiota, the health of the microbiota. Mm-hmm. I know that you can continue to eat plant 
matter on a low carbohydrate diet, but we don't know a lot about the microbiome and that's really our, your food source or your source for the microbiota to live and thrive. And mm -hmm. so potentially, potentially you could be causing some species to die off and we yeah. don't really know the implications of them, but yet we know the microbiota in fact are, affect our immune system and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then from the performance standpoint, high intensity sports really do require carbohydrates, even through elite marathon times. And mm -hmm. so, especially when that CrossFit population comes to me and they say they do CrossFit, I mean, CrossFit's uh, focus is performance. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the improving fitness part. That's the improving the work capacity right. across broad time and modal domains. And they do high intensity protocols to get them there. And so it's like, okay, it just sort of seems a little bit misplaced. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, I, I just don't know that really we have research that suggests that somebody who eats a mixed macronutrient diet in the appropriate quantity with whole foods is really that damaging. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, maybe we do see that some health markers improve with a keto diet, whether or not it's, you know, an overweight population or just a normal population, mm -hmm. or maybe we see something improve with a low carbohydrate diet, but I also don't know that we see that this sort of uh, kind of even keel mixed macronutrient with whole foods at the appropriate levels is bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it's already pretty good. We don't need to yeah, change it. We totally. don't need to reinvent the wheel. Totally. That's so, um, you know, you might see a study that says one thing does one thing, but that doesn't mean that the thing that you're doing is bad either. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And I like what you said about certain populations. And I think it's probably like, you know, our diets evolve as we age, different stages of life, and maybe you're just starting CrossFit and maybe you are very overweight and you do have diabetes. And maybe, you know, for you, that's a good time to do something like a ketogenic diet in a supervised way. But as you come down and you're more lean and your diabetes goes away and you're doing CrossFit, then maybe, you know, your body is more prepared to handle a little bit more carbohydrate and you'll do better on that totally. more balanced macro approach. And there's also that interrelation of that person, like that person is going to see huge benefits in the CrossFit gym mm -hmm. that have nothing, well, not nothing to do with diet. If they're losing weight, some of that performance is going to be because they've lost the weight, mm -hmm. but also just because CrossFit, regardless of the diet's effective, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can have a diet of lettuce and <laughs> if you've never done CrossFit, you're going to see improvement, right? I mean, just because you've not done pull-ups and deadlifts right. and all these other things. So I think some people on a keto diet will st still see performance gains that have nothing to do with the fuel source. Sure. Um, and we were talking earlier, I just recently did a keto mm, experiment right. myself and I was talking about how I did see performance gains, but I'm not convinced, you know, exactly what was driving them. Is it just because I had gone from, you know, at the end of my intern year working out three days a week and, you know, barely lifting any weights to suddenly going back into a more of a regular routine? Totally. Um, is it because I knew the times that I had to shoot for so that I could beat them the second time so I could say that the ketogenic diet was right. not affecting my performance? I mean, there's so many different factors that go into it. 100%. So yeah. it's hard. But but I think that still self-experimentation is important and trying to do it in a way that is as objective as you can make it is, sure. is always helpful. Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody said this, uh, but I love it. It's like, we don't have time in our lifetimes to see randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials and everything, right? Yes. So we have to self-experiment. And yes. that doesn't mean it's bad. You know? Oh, that's my pet peeve <laughs> when people, especially on things that are lifestyle related and so low risk to try, when people use that as an argument about, oh, well, the research isn't there yet. Right. We can't recommend this. Well, it's like, well, why not just try it and right. see if it helps? And also everyone has such different genetics and different factors going on in their lives that they may respond 
differently than the next person that mm-hmm. you can't necessarily study them in a randomized controlled trial. Yes. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> the end of one experiment is very powerful, I think. Totally. Um, and you also reminded me of, um, you know, talking about this whole foods diet and how it's probably not that, bad. it's right. probably pretty darn good. Um, now I, I think my perspective since being in residency, I'm in a primary care clinic with very general American population, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, patients who have diabetes, who have multiple chronic diseases mm-hmm. and it has really opened my eyes to just how resilient the human body is. And, you know, even many people who have terrible diets and are eating fast food multiple times a week and have stress and are overweight, they still can live a long time and are very happy in their lives. And maybe they have diabetes, maybe they take medications, you know, they're still doing okay. So I think that for us to really obsess about some of these details, it puts it in perspective about, okay, as long as we're doing pretty good with our whole foods diet and eating a general balance of macronutrients, we're probably going to be okay. Yeah. That's a great point. (laughs) It just reminds you like the human body is really amazing. Amazing. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. So resilient. So resilient. Um, Okay. So speaking more on quantity, but in terms of micronutrients, Mm -hmm. this is where I want to really dive into the 800 gram challenge because we always focus on the macros, but really, like you mentioned, for our gut microbiome, for our general overall health, the micronutrients are super important. Totally. So how did you, I know we've talked about the study that you kind of got that number from, but you know, how did you come up with this challenge? Why do you think it's important and what kind of, um, you know, what kind of impact have you seen it have on people who have tried it? Yeah. So the 800 gram challenge, uh, is to eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and vegetables each day, all fruits and vegetables, cooked, canned, frozen, fresh, doesn't matter. And you get to pick which fruits and vegetables, all fruits, all beans, mix, all that stuff. So that that's the 800 gram challenge. And the idea really was kind of first planted in me years ago. I was talking to, uh, you know, back in my New England days, mm-hmm. I was uh, talking with Heather Bergeron and she's of course got a great diet (laughs) and I just remember being at her house and she was like you know you just can't eat enough ever eat enough vegetables right (laughs) and it just was like yeah we actually don't really know you know like how many do you need to eat yeah I mean we know that you don't want to just I don't know eat 20 heads of broccoli a day like that's not it you might not feel the best (laughs) you might not feel the best and all that (laughs) stuff but you know you're supposed to eat a lot of vegetables so that that seed was kind of in my mind of like how do you really measure quality and so that was years ago and then last uh, last year I was you know in the master's program and I was just looking at food research of Mm -hmm. course and at the same time in that summer I I kind of was playing around with a couple different quality metrics one of the ones that I was trying to do was measure potassium the day as a proxy for fruit and vegetable consumption and then the data just that I was calling up in my fitness pal just wasn't complete on the micronutrients so I was like okay that's not it and then I was trying something else of like these different serving sizes of these different fruits every day Mm -hmm. and that was a little complicated and that's when I ran into the study that you saw yeah And um, they looked at the fruit and vegetable consumption relative to health outcomes. And they just looked at it across all fruits and vegetables. And they found that the 800 gram number was was significant because cancer risk actually went down at 600 grams. But cardiovascular disease, which is number one killer in the U.S., and then all-cause mortality went down at 800 grams. And so kind of with the mindset that I'd already had this kind of on the back burner, Mm -hmm. I was like, that's it. That's that's the really elegant solution to measuring quality. And then so I was like 
well, what does 800 grams look like? <laughs> yeah. They say it's 10 servings, but who knows what a serving is anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause the, you know, the USDA, when they talk about servings, sometimes it's two cups, sometimes it's one cup, yeah. sometimes it's half a cup and you have to get it in these different six food groups. And I love what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to implement day to day in the kitchen. You're mm-hmm. like, did I get my quarter cup of legumes and my <laughs> half a cup of the red and orange? You know, right. it's just like a lot of little details. So I was like, okay, well, what does 800 grams look like? And so that's when I really started playing it with my playing with it in my diet myself, mm-hmm. and um, just to sort of see like how feasible is this, and what do the macronutrients look like, and how high can I push the macronutrients, and how low can I push the macronutrients, and how do I feel? And so I did kind of a couple months on my own. I did my kind of a month to track all the data, and then mm-hmm. I I quickly pulled in Nicole Christensen across the roots and <laughs> said, course. okay, you got to do this. She's always up for <laughs> always up for a challenge. One of my concerns too, and I mean, this might sound a little bit silly because that study actually was done on uh, like, I think 90, it was a meta-analysis of 95 different studies. So Mm -hmm. they have a big body of literature they're pulling in. But one of my concerns was, well, I'm, you know, six feet tall, 180 pounds. Maybe this is easy because I'm a larger person, right? So I was like, let's get Nicole over here. (laughs) (laughs) A more normal sized person can (laughs) handle this. And and she did it and she liked it. And I was like, okay, this is is an idea. Let's launch it at Roots for a a challenge. So we Mm -hmm. launched it on January, 2018 as a challenge. so we ran with it then and and that's when I kind of started posting about it and some other mm-hmm. gyms jumped on board. I also ran uh, a challenge with Sugarwad. Um we did a the 800 gram challenge had 20 mm-hmm. gyms on board and so we ran through that and uh, I've done a social challenge where I just post what I'm doing every day for mm-hmm. 30 days. I had another I don't know 5 to 10 gyms jump on that. I've seen, you know, gyms just take the idea and run with it on their own. And so at this point, kind of tracking on what people are saying about it as much as possible and getting as much as feedback as possible, um, there's a couple different trends of feedback. Mm-hmm. Some are weight loss, some are blood pressure improvements, mm-hmm. um, not that surprising. Really common, oh, well, another ones are like GI feels better, digestion, digestion feels better. Um, really common though is more energy mm. and better recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not that surprising either. I mean, we always focus on carbs and fat and pure protein for fueling mm-hmm. ourselves, but you know, those need vitamins to run. So yeah. <laughs> those processes need vitamins <laughs> to run. So we also need the, the micronutrients as you were originally mentioning. So that's not super surprising, um, that you're hearing better energy recovery, but that's, that's definitely some of the big results. And then the one that I kind of thought would be there, but it's really cool to hear people say a lot is just the positive relationship with food that mm-hmm. it develops because the guideline is the 800 grams of fruit and vegetables a day, but nothing else is restricted in the diet. Mm-hmm. They continue to eat protein to their um, satisfaction, fat to their satisfaction, any indiscretions, mm-hmm. wine, dark chocolate, ice cream, they can yeah. have any of that. And then they even choose the fruits and vegetables they want if they're trying to hit macros. So there's no really restrictions. You could um, eat all broccoli if yeah, you want. Yeah. And or so, all sweet potatoes. <laughs> all sweet potatoes. And then you can also have your ice cream and you can, yeah. I don't know, whatever else that people want in their diets. It's, I like to call it a yes diet because mm-hmm. there are no no's. Um, so that's been really, that's been really cool hearing people talk about. It kind of flips the yeah. script on dieting, right? And I love that. <laughs> focusing on, you know, increasing more of what's good for you and not restricting. Right. And generally, if you're eating that good stuff, you're going to feel better and you're going to make better food choices anyways. Yeah. And and what happens because of that quantity, what it is now, it fits on a standard dinner plate. It ends up being about six cups, Mm -hmm. not including leafy greens because they don't weigh very much. Um, (laughs) Darn it. I know. (laughs) They're so good. (laughs) They really don't weigh very much. Um, You know, it's, 
it's enough of a quantity that what starts happening is it pushes out some of those poor quality choices. Mm -hmm. So inevitably people's diet overall tends to improve for sure. Um, so yeah, so that's how you start seeing some of the, the weight loss and the blood pressure reduction, even though that they can have chips or popcorn or mm -hmm. whatever, that they just are eating less of that because it hit that 800 gram number. They, mm -hmm. they, they're too full or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that kind of, yes, that positive relationship with food, I think too, one of the things that I was really kind of adamant about was that inclusiveness of all, yeah. all the fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, I think there's some kind of these neuroses around some foods in the greater CrossFit space that I, I really don't think need to be there. You know, mm -hmm. I purposely wanted potatoes in there and all root vegetables and legumes and corn mm -hmm. and all fruit, because I think there's some really negative messaging around those items mm -hmm. and it's just unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And variety is good, right? I think that so many people end up eating the same things over and over again because it's, you know, easy. They know exactly what to buy, how to prepare it. And so having to get to 800 grams, you probably end up trying different things, adding more variety. And that's good in a lot of ways, too. You're getting different nutri nutrients. It's good for the microbiome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I do with the challenge is I recommend like a diversity target where you try to hit six okay. different things a day and try to encourage people to change what they're eating every mm -hmm. day. And, and yeah, because there's a lot of things we don't know about. I mean, we hear about resveratrol and wine and you hear about lutein and spinach mm -hmm. and these phytochemicals and there's thousands of them and we really don't know what they're all doing and mm -hmm. how they're all doing it. And so it's like to continue to try to have two vegetables in the diet it's just sort of why you know yeah. like why not try to be as broad as possible um that being said if if somebody's coming from a standard american diet and they only like strawberries well i'd love for them to eat 800 grams of strawberries a day yeah. you know it and i i know people out there you know say a little bit that's too many carbs or that's too much sugar but that really comes out to less than 100 grams of carbohydrates in a day to 800 mm -hmm. grams of strawberries and so it's like I'll have somebody switch to that diet any day of the week. <laughs> Instead of potato chips or whatever else they're eating. Yeah. yeah and so, yeah, I really um, encourage people. And, and that's what I really like about it too, is it encourages people to optimize it for them, mm -hmm. you know, whether or not it's based on the macronutrients or make it as diverse as possible. Yeah. Or if you're traveling and you only have access to apples and bananas at the airport, well, that's just your apple and banana day. You know, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to be always this perfectly crafted, um, you know, plate of eight different items that right. hit all the categories and colors. And then when you can, you want to do that as much as possible. Sure. Do you have recommendations for people about trying out new fruits and vegetables or, you know, where they go to learn how to prepare them or mm. how to find them? Sure. <laughs> yeah. As much as I love the physiology, I'm not known for uh, the, <laughs> the chef. shopping and the, <laughs> the recipes. Oh my gosh. I joke around that half my meals come out of a Vitamix. It's probably true. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, people that were following along on the social challenge, they're probably like, this is really her diet. I mean, there's <laughs> lots of fruits and veggies, but it's a little, yeah, I'm not the best in the kitchen, but in terms of Definitely in terms of kind of trying out new things um, besides do it. If you are coming from, again, a standard diet and 800 grams is nowhere near what you're eating, mm -hmm. I, I would recommend just ramping it up a little bit versus jumping right to 800. Sure. It is um, going to be a higher whack of fiber. <laughs> you might feel a little more full, a little bit more bloated. That's just because yeah. your microbiome's not used to all of that, right? So if you really aren't eating anything, and that's the beauty of it too, scale it, you know, scale it down to 200 grams and then ramp your way up to 800. Sure. Um 
but yeah, I mean, that's kind of would be my only real recommendation mm-hmm. in terms of just, you know, maybe not jumping into it right away if it's very far from where you're starting. Totally. And I talk about, I mean, we all fall into our routines, but I always talk about, um, farmer's markets or CSAs is a great way to do that. I, we didn't do it this year, but in past years we've joined our local CSA and you end up with these vegetables that you have never seen in your life. And you're like, how am I supposed to cook this? And they usually have recipes that they give you and, you know, or you just put them in the Vitamix or in our like Instapot and steam them or whatever you do. But, um, but yeah, there's so many out there that you probably have never tried. (laughs) That's a good that's a good uh, way to do it for sure is the farmer's markets. I actually, so one of the times, cause I've tracked my data on it for, mm-hmm. for periods of time, just so that I can really understand what's, what do these volumes look like and, and how does this play out in someone's diet? So one of the times I, I tracked the number of different items I ate. So the number of different fruits and vegetables and, mm-hmm. and no, like orange peppers weren't separate than yellow peppers. Those were just peppers. And I only even trying to be diverse in 30 days, I only ate 30 different 38 different items Mm. which I was trying to be like let me try this squash and let me get this root vegetable and you know and I was I thought I was being so diverse and you know it's I'm I'm less than 40. But Um, still that sounds like a lot (laughs) I mean if you think about it. (laughs) Yeah I mean you really do fall into these routines Mm -hmm. of you know you just like certain things it's easy to prep it goes well and you know we also have to appreciate that that's not the end of the world. Like, yes. right. Like we, we don't need to necessarily push to having 200 fruits and vegetables in our diet on a monthly basis. So it's just kind of appreciating where you are in that scale. And mm-hmm. if, and if you have to stay in the routine because that keeps you eating uh, broccoli, banana and potatoes, and that's all you have, but it's, it's otherwise fast food. Well, we're, we're doing great. Yeah. I, I love it. Let's stay there. And then if you have the time to explore these different things or you have the option to join a CSA, great. That's a great way to get mm-hmm. more diversity in. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's true. It's about what are you actually going to be able to implement into your life right. and do on a consistent basis um, and not, you know, stressing out about being perfect. So yes. That's a really, really great point. Um, oh, and another point about seasonality, too. I think, like, you know, maybe you eat the same five vegetables, but it's they're in season. Like, totally. That's great. And that's how, you know, people were evolved to eat based on what was available. Yeah, so. totally. Um, now... Assuming you're getting all of your micronutrients from your 800 grams every day, I want to talk a little bit about the role of supplements because those yeah. are, you know, more common questions too. Do you think that there are any supplements that if someone's eating 800 grams and they're generally eating a healthy whole foods diet, are there any supplements that we, that they may still need to use? Um, or is it more of a case by case basis? Yeah, I really don't take supplements myself Mm -hmm. i you know the 800 gram thing um i don't even know that i'd be willing to say that they're getting all of their micronutrients you know if you do 800 grams on one vegetable alone regardless if it's even kale Mm -hmm. you know you're still not very diverse and so you might not be getting all your coverage there anyway 800 grams of a diverse amount i I bet you're pretty close then combined with of course um high quality meats and some other Mm -hmm. foods in the diet but um so that being, I just wanted to put that caveat out there that it's not a guarantee, but it mm-hmm. certainly is, is going to be a good start. Yeah, I just, I don't. I don't really recommend supplements on a broad base. I think every now and then in some certain conditions or cases, there mm-hmm. can be some uh, therapeutic therapeutic use for them but i really don't supplement with anything Mm -hmm. um turmeric i think people probably know that yeah (laughs) but even that i go in through my ebbs and flows of it it's just sort of like i don't really know that that's moving the needle much um and again it's because it comes back to well how's my 
quality? How's my quantity? And if I can make big improvements there, then the supplements are just sort of, they're not going to do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, or if I'm not sleeping well, or if I'm stressed out or my exercise routine has fallen off a little bit or whatever it is, it's like, let me dive back into those Mm -hmm. than worrying about these over here. Absolutely. I, um, I'll have to show you later. We have a giant bag of turmeric in our house. (laughs) I don't know if we'll ever finish it, but one day, um, Danny got on like a, he just bought it on Amazon and went a little overboard. So yes. we're going to be eating it for the rest of Every our Every now lives. and then people tag me in turmeric stuff. It's yeah. awesome. Um, <laughs> it's so good. I mean, <laughs> you just, it's just awesome. I was um, going to actually mention though on supplements. I don't know if you saw that post I did recently on vitamin D. Oh, I did. Yeah. yeah which was very interesting. And I think it's been, it has been a big topic lately, especially in like in primary care recently, we, in our main journal, there was an article about it and about how, there really isn't that, that great of evidence to even be screening for people for screening for it unless you have a really good reason um, or supplementing above, you know, a minimum. Sure. Kind With of the current RDA. Yeah. Normally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think that's just what we have to be cautious about, especially with some supplementation. You know, if we see a study, even if it's a human study. Um, you know, we might understand part of the system better. Mm-hmm. We might not understand the system better, and it's just sort of interesting that. You know, and that was sort of my deal. So I had, you know, for people to know, I had what was considered deficient vitamin D. I think it was 29. And mm-hmm. I took this massive under direction of a naturopath. It wasn't just my own idea. Mm-hmm. Um, a massive dose. And it only boosted a little bit up to 33, which huh. at the time was still considered deficient because that was when it was, you know, all the rage to be over be really 70 high, nanograms yeah. per liter, a milliliter or something like that. And, um, you know, I just sort of had this sort of kind of mental check like mm-hmm. step back and like does this make sense like I'm healthy I don't have clinical symptoms what am I doing trying mm-hmm. to force this one marker in that one direction and so that's sort of how I feel about supplementation it's like I don't really know that we understand the whole system that well <laughs> I think that's such a great point and you know there's only you know there's things that we can measure and it makes us feel like we have control over things but there's so many things that are going on inside our bodies that we're not we don't even know about or we can't measure um, and who's to say you know, what impact we're having on all of those research studies are all flawed in different ways. And we don't know what the optimal levels are. I think, I think that there's, and just like mechanistically, it makes sense that having, and who's to say what's normal, but having a vitamin D that's at least in a, what we think is a normal range mm-hmm. can help prevent infections. It helps the immune system and helps your bone health, but I'm not too convinced that having extremely high levels of vitamin D is necessarily beneficial. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's always, you have to always take that step back and just like, does this make sense in the whole person mm-hmm. system and context? Like, uh, you know, yes, we learned this one little thing about this one component, but hold on, what is the person presenting and what do they look like, right? Maybe mm-hmm. the vitamin D for somebody who has, you know, we need to work on infection or a, a immune issue or whatever. Sure. But the healthy individual, uh, maybe the, maybe the body knows what's going on here. Yeah, it's true. I think our bodies are so smart. The more I learn, the more I, know. I think, you know, and the fact that we think we can try and figure it out, it's <laughs> like, know. it's like, come on people. <laughs> we don't really know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's humbling. Definitely. Um, okay. How about we talk a little bit about timing yeah. of nutrients because this is another hot topic mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people experimenting with fasting and, time-restricted feeding um do you think that there's a generally healthy way to approach the timing of your your intake 
I don't want to say that intermittent fast, uh, intermittent fasting, you know, fun to play around with time restricted feeding, fun to play around with, but it's really just a slant on quantity, right? I mean, even if you do, I'm doing the compressed window, but I'm doing my calories in the compressed window. Generally, people are going to eat less than if they let themselves eat at any time period. Mm-hmm. So that's really kind of at the heart of that type of stuff and fine to play around with. But um, I don't know. Again, I don't know that it's going to be this panacea that, that people want it to be. I mean, maybe we just reduce quantity by cutting out dessert or mm-hmm. not going for the snack or something like that. Mm-hmm. For performance, um, I don't, I don't, you know, I think sometimes, um, I don't know. I don't think it's, you're going to see amazing performance with it. I think sometimes you'll see it and that's just because you're excited that day to work out or Mm -hmm. because you hit the workout hard or something like that. So again, I don't think it's this sort of awesome, amazing thing that's really going to change everything. Maybe if it helps you cut down on your quantity and you're overeating. Mm -hmm. I think there's also some really interesting research. Oh gosh, Stacy Sims, um, I think she now does CrossFit or has, but um, PhD and I forget, but anyway, (laughs) it does a lot with women's training and really speaks to the effect of uh, like the women's hormones on what we understand about um, performance and how fasting plays into that and Mm -hmm. not so well. And it's interesting because we'll see anecdotally, typically men do better with fasting and performance than women. And it's like, oh, okay, well now we have to also worry about estrogen and progesterone fluctuations and how does that play out? So, that was really specific to fasting, but just timing. Again, I just don't think that people need to worry about it as much as some of those basics. Maybe the multiple session a day athlete mm-hmm. only because they need to be fueled for the next session, but mm-hmm. not because it's this magical thing that's happening. They're replenishing their nutrients and they need to have enough energy to hit the next session. Mm-hmm. But if you're the one workout a day person, I wouldn't really worry about it. And maybe if you want to skip breakfast every now and then, I mm-hmm. mean, great, but... Mm-hmm that's about the extent of my fasting opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, timing opinion. <laughs> yeah. Fasting timing. Same thing. Um, so post-workout nutrition important for the general population. I think you probably know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, I just had to bring really. it up. <laughs> no, I love it, but not really. I mean, I don't know. I just sort of see it as just have some food at your yeah. next meal. It's probably going to be within an hour ish mm-hmm. because you just worked out and that's how the days go, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't really think the post-workout shake is where you need to focus. I think you're going to see more results from just committing to keeping your diet quality high, going hard in the actual workout, mm-hmm. staying consistent on the routine than you will with a, spec- a special blend or mm-hmm. something after your workout. Sure. And I think I noticed too when I was doing this ketogenic experiment, I didn't do the post-workout shake because it was too high in carbs yeah. and I um, would generally eat, you know, within an hour, probably more of a, like a protein and fat meal sure. and felt fine. Yeah. Um, but I do think, again, it just depends on your goals. Are you trying to, you know, really optimize your performance and going for more of a competitive type of goal or are you just trying to optimize longevity and yeah and I I would really also just couch that though the performance and like really people that are hitting it hard multiple sessions a day Mm -hmm. because I'm interested in performance I mean relatively but you know what I mean like I'm still interested in improving in the gym I'm still doing this multiple days a week and (laughs) I'm pretty like stoked about it we still want to get yeah push our curve up higher and higher yeah but it's just you know I'm clearly not going to the games like you know I'm not at that level by any means and so even if you're somebody who hits it hard one day a week and still wants to see performance, I still think you're in the camp where 
it doesn't have this massive change. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody actually, and not to keep ranting about post-workout nutrition, but they just recently said like, oh my gosh, I implemented a post-workout shake and I've seen all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And it just came down to the fact that they otherwise were just skipping an entire meal. A meal, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, well, yes, that makes great sense, you know? <laughs> and, and they're attributing it to shake, which is fine, but it's also like, yeah, you just were missing like 400 calories or something. Sure, sure. <laughs> and for some people, it's just easier that way. It's like, you know, however you're going to get your meal in. It's true. Maybe yeah. that's an easy way to do it if you're on your way to work or wherever else. So. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. But um, again, trying to maximize the quality of that, yes. whatever that is that you're eating. Yeah. Um, the time-restricted feeding for me has been kind of interesting. I'm not sure. I think fasting maybe also has different roles in different populations. But the time-restricted feeding, I don't know if you've seen... Some I haven't read all of it, but some of the research, such in Panda, have you seen any of that? No, I thought you were going to say somebody else, actually. Um, so he has some, um, which we actually studied in my, um, it was like a nutrition right. seminar that I took a couple of years ago. So this was even before he had all the most recent work. But um, looking at just eating within a 12 or 14 hour window. Yep. So it's not too extreme. It's probably what we should all be doing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us tend to be working out late at night or snacking late at night, waking up super early, eating our Mm -hmm. first meal really early. Um, And just the impact that that had on the microbiome Mm -hmm. and even on weight, keeping calories consistent, Mm. um, which I thought was really interesting and looking at like the circadian rhythms of the microbiome as well. Well, you might have shared that with me actually. Yeah, now it's starting to jog my mind. Yeah, it's still, I mean, there's, he's doing a ton of research now and I think he's collecting, he has an app so anyone can track their, you know, timing of their intake on the app and then he uses all that data in his research, which is kind of a cool way to participate in research um, if you're generally interested. But, um, but yeah, so I think, I, I don't, think we need to go too crazy on the fasting but at least trying to have a 12-hour window i think is reasonable and sure. not it's not too Be eating all the time yeah you know intermittent fasting i think was popular in the crossfit space in like 2011 i remember because i did it for a year plus three to four days a week and mm-hmm. and played around with uh mostly 15 to 18 hour fasts. okay um and did that and really the most you know and i think it was for I know it was at least a year, but a year and plus some a little bit. And the best thing I got out of it was just freedom from thinking that I needed to eat all the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I had this massive performance shift or that I had, you know, significant weight change or anything like that. It was just that, oh, if I miss a meal, like the body still functions, you know, yes. <laughs> coming away from that bodybuilding, like yes, eat every. that's true. And so I think that's great. Like, yeah. So people, when they do the 12 or 14 hour fast, it's like, oh, I can, I can skip breakfast or if travel demands mm-hmm. it, it's just it's not soul crushing if you don't have your Tupperware with you, you know? <laughs> right, right. You're not going to die. And that hunger does subside actually. Yeah. You know, you get super hungry and then eventually you forget about it. Yeah. Um, so it is true. I think we can all, we all get a little bit like hangry, so they say, but right. that does pass. Yeah. And we, you know, we can, we can survive without food for a few yeah. hours. So. The body has some pretty cool systems in place. <laughs> Once again, the body has outsmarted us. <laughs> yes. Very true. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to, take a few questions so i had posted on social media some questions that people had about nutrition Mm -hmm. so i'm just going to pull some of those up sure and we can try to definitely address them so let's see well this is one that maybe we kind of already talked a little bit about so it's from the account is wall 9591 and they say counting macros is so much easier when you stick to the same foods most of the time my go-to foods are for lunch and dinner are chicken breasts and lean ground turkey 
broccoli or cauliflower and sweet potato or rice. Breakfast is always rolled oats with protein, green greens powder and berries. I fill in extra carbs with bananas or apples. Am I missing out on nutrients by not eating a bigger variety of foods? I know tons of my macro counting friends do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, again, we don't really know all the things that are happening. So are you missing out? Maybe. I mean, you're doing pretty good though. I mean, you know, if, if that's the diet that you can stick to, and if you don't do it with that, you, you, you know, start eating too much or Mm -hmm. you don't have as many fruits and vegetables as you already have. Well, shoot, keep sticking to it. I'd love it if you didn't have that every day of the week, that would be more ideal. So you just have to sort of realize like what's possible. Can you get more Mm -hmm. variety in? Can you sometimes replace the oats with, I don't know, a squash or yam or something like that Um, to get some more diversity in there? That would be more ideal, Mm -hmm. but also recognize you're doing pretty good. Yeah. It sounds like if that's what you're eating every day, that is doing pretty well. Um, or even just, I think underestimating the impact of just a little things here and there. So say you eat out and you eat something different or Mm -hmm. say you, um, you try cooking one new recipe like once a week or once a month, or maybe you bring in a different breakfast that you rotate every other week. Yeah. Like there's little things that can probably make a difference. But again, it's like, what are those really small goals and what's the really the most important for you to be spending your time on or, or your energy? Yeah, for sure. Um, so psych mama says, we already addressed part of this, but she says thoughts on stevia and all other fake sugar. Also GMOs and organic doesn't really make a difference. So we didn't really address the sugar aspect or the sweeteners. Yeah. Um, sweeteners. I generally, I'm not obsessive about them in the sense of never have them, you know, et cetera. Again, I think that if we're having that stuff in our diet, like what does the rest of the diet look like? You know, if it's, if you're having stevia or something once a day in the coffee, okay, let's like, let's not worry about that. Mm -hmm. You know, if the diet then starts to look like I have stevia sweetened all these natural products, it's like, okay, well the diet probably needs to be cleaned up. And so I think it's just putting in the context of what are we talking about and what does the rest of the diet look like? Even if it's three stevia things a day, if the rest of the diet's really awesome, I'm I'm not really that stressed about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, just understanding the the rest of the context of the diet to make that decision. But the more that we trend towards whole foods and right uh, quantity is really what we're after. Mm -hmm. And some of this processed stuff, and I know it might be stevia or it might be some of the more artificial sweeteners, especially for the artificial sweeteners, not stevia, you know, we don't see those in associated with health. And that's what, that's right. essentially what we know. We don't know exactly if they're harmful. We don't know exactly, but we don't see them in diets that are associated with health. So kind of trending away from that. Probably better to avoid them. Yeah. And also knowing like, what does it do to you? Like, do you, if you have Steve in your coffee in the morning, are you craving sugar all day mm. or Good point, yeah. is it like, okay, I can have that. And then I'm still fine for the rest of the day. Cause I know for me, I tend to be once I have sugar, I'm like, oh, I need more of that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, if, th- if that's the way that you're able to stay on the rest of your diet, then keep the stevia in. But if that does make you eat more stevia or sugar or whatever, maybe not. Right. I love it. Um, okay. Thoughts. Oh, this is Laura Haggerty. She says, thoughts on how macros, specifically low carb or cuts in general, affect hormone balances and the after effects on your body. So going through periods where you go through this, like a very strict Um, maybe lower carb or very strict low calorie sort of period where you're trying to cut weight. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, it's going to depend how low calorie, how low carb, and then how long, you know, shorter cuts are going to be less damaging, longer cuts are going to be longer damaging. And then I really just beg the question of why, (laughs) you know, why, if it's to lean out, why don't we just do it with less of a severe cut and Mm -hmm. do it in a way that might take a little bit longer, but gets the goals that you're after and is more sustainable. So Yeah, so I, I wouldn't recommend it for a significant period of time, but if it's a short-term thing, I don't know what for what goal, okay, maybe, but I wouldn't try to re- do that repeatedly, and I definitely would just ask, can we do it another way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's a great a great point. Like, th- probably the, you know, maybe it's a procrastination tactic, and then people start too late see, if they yeah. have a specific reason, a but goal date, certainly yeah. it would probably be healthier to do it more gradually over a longer period of time in a healthier way. Yeah, um, and then seeing, you know, I do see that where pe- if people do that multiple times and they kind of fluctuate in these yo-yos that it can have impacts, you know, oh. over a long period. For so, sure. For sure. So I think asking why is always yes. the best, the best, um, approach. Okay. Um, I know I've already addressed this. This is sort of a question actually that I just thought of as we were talking Mm. is what about the role for, especially for men who are really trying to gain Mm. mass, they're trying to get stronger. Um, How do you approach that? Yeah. Tracking is good for those guys because we really have to make sure we're at a caloric surplus and we don't know unless we're tracking. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can say the same thing about losing weight, but it's, you know, some guys who have high volume and just that metabolism, it's really hard to put on mass. So we have to track and then we mm-hmm. have to just keep feeding you more. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to also make sure that we understand that gaining gaining strength doesn't only come through gaining mass mm-hmm. as well. Um, of course, that's kind of a longer term game, though. You can gain strength just by going into the gym multiple times a week for years, (laughs) not necessarily being on a mass gain program. So understanding that some of that will just come with time, but if it's truly this short term um, goal, yeah, we got to see what you're eating now. We know that you're not eating enough and we just have to ratchet it up from there. Mm -hmm. But it's just as being fastidious as somebody who wants to lose weight, because if we're kind of up and down on the calories, we might not ever end up at a surplus. Interesting. Okay. Um, Kyle Kidder says I'm having to this is about timing again Mm. I'm having to work out in the evenings right now and I'm always hungry afterwards is it okay to be eating tons of food at 10 o'clock at night last night I had a can of tuna a banana avocado toast and a protein shake before bed yeah yeah I mean that's his time to eat Mm -hmm. so sometimes sometimes questions will come up and what if I don't eat this or what if I can only eat now you know, I'd love for people to sort of take the approach. Well, let me just optimize my limited context, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I've, if I can't do something now, well, how can I make the best scenario that I have? And it's just, well, that's your time to eat and you're mm-hmm. picking some great choices. I think you're doing a great job. I mean, the, what's the other option, right? right? Don't you know, eat you know, you don't eat and, yeah. and then, the, then you're just going to probably start losing mass, which right. doesn't sound like is his goal. And that's the, one of the hardest things I think about working out late in the evening, which I did a lot over the past few years is that, you're, you have this awkward time where you're like, should I eat dinner before I work out? Then I'm going to be too full working out. And then afterwards, do you eat again? It's, it can be challenging, but, um, but again, you have to look at, there's so many different things going on in your life and you have to look at, you know, what works for you and how are you going to be able to get done what you need to get done. So exactly. Very interesting. All right. TK Horn asks our favorite books and podcasts to learn more. Do you have any places that you like to send people other than 
optimize me in your blog <laughs> in all of those places. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I I definitely, of course, Chris Kresser, um, you know, he's been a mainstay for a while now. Chris Masterjohn has been out there for a while. Um, really, uh, I, I'm not sure. I think his, uh, his he still has a blog, Stephen Guiné. Mm-hmm. He's got some great uh, research. Um, I love from what I remember, because I took precision nutrition years and years ago, mm-hmm. but I love Berardi's psychological approach. He also has a very even keel approach to quality, quantity, that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. those would be the ones I think besides just going to the literature. Yeah. yeah. Those are great. I love them. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to start wrapping up. Okay. I first want to know, I love asking people about kind of their typical day or their daily routine because I'm just fascinated and I'm always trying to, figure out how I can more optimize my daily daily routine. So it's more for selfish reasons, but do you have a daily routine or if you have kind of your ideal day, how would it go? Yeah. My, uh, this probably won't help you at all. My ideal day (laughs) is, is there is no routine. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Start out by the pool. (laughs) No, I might, I don't really have, I've, um, you know, even when I was working at both of my prior kind of careers, I worked uh, remotely or had a good amount of mm-hmm. flexibility. And then right now I'm kind of doing some of my own freelance work. And so I do have a lot of flexibility in my schedule, um, you know, and I don't have a family as well who's waiting on me for something. So mm-hmm. I have a ton of flexibility in my schedule, which means that the days are, they're always different. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's either meeting somebody in the morning or getting a project done, or sometimes it's working out or whatever it is. And so I, and I really like that flow. Mm-hmm. I, you know, sometimes I think I crave a schedule and then yeah. I'm like two days into the same thing and I'm like, ah, yeah, let's a little bored. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I don't, I do find though. Um, and it's a habit that I don't love, but I do find that I can crank through some serious work from like seven to 11. Mm-hmm. Like I, <laughs> I can start First to get in the morning. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if that's just a switch in my life right now or mm-hmm. just happens to be my current, my current trend, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like, Oh, I'll get this done tonight. <laughs> so, yeah. but I really don't have a schedule. Sorry. Well, that's okay. How do you <laughs> Working out in there. Yeah. You have to you know, have the big pieces. Um, but for people who do have a flexible schedule or work from home or a remote, um, what are some things that have helped you? Because I know it can be really challenging yes. to, you know, maintain that discipline when you're not in a work environment all the time. Yeah. I think it's those kind of, those big chunks, you know, yeah. know that you can kind of focus for two to three hours and then you're going to need to definitely do yeah. something that's longer than like stand up and stretch. And so yeah. maybe that for me is the coffee break or maybe that's the gym break or maybe that's the go meet with somebody, yeah. but try to block it out like that because yeah, otherwise you just get, you know, you're just totally by yourself on this island at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you might I don't know, end up getting nothing done. So I really try to focus on those kind of chunks. Taking the healthy breaks. The Tabata work. Right. I think that has been useful for me when I've studied, been in periods where I'm just studying all day at home is making sure you schedule those the breaks. Because yeah. it's easy to just be like, oh no, I can go a little longer. I can go a little longer. And then you start losing your effectiveness. So. Yeah. And how many times, I don't know, I find, you know, you step away from something, you come back with such greater clarity, right? Yes. So. That's so true. Mm-hmm. So true. All right. So the three questions I ask everyone. Okay. Um, I think I know them. First one <laughs> is the three things you do on a regular basis that three have things. the biggest positive impact <clears throat> on your health. Uh, definitely consistency with exercise and diet would be the big first two. Mm-hmm. Um, third one. I love how you said consistency too. It's not like... You yeah, know, it's not like anything fancy, but just having it consistently there. Yeah, I mean, it it probably the diet, you know, 
because again, I was doing super high carb, low fat coming into the mm-hmm. CrossFit space. Um, I really learned that from just the exercise regime and that mm-hmm. started growing up and definitely I go through points when, I mean, I'm in and out of CrossFit roots within 20 minutes. I have five minutes on the bike, hit something hard for 10 minutes and I'm yeah. done. And and that's it. And I just know that that's better than nothing and mm-hmm. I'll feel better. And so that's just ingrained. Like the day just has a workout in it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know where it is. It might not be this epic event. <laughs> <laughs> it might be, you know, a hundred burpees in my, my parents' living room. Yeah, um, like it was this past weekend, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's just so consistent for me that I think that also has made the diet consistent. And again, I'm, I'm no beacon of perfection in diet, but I'm consistently making choices that are good. And mm-hmm. so, those I think are definitely the big two. Third one there. Gosh, I wasn't expecting three, Julie. Got to throw in a curveball for you. <laughs> I think I'm uh, learning. I, I don't want to say even learning new things. Um, I, I definitely am interested in that and do learn new things, but keeping some other fun activities that don't have anything mm. to do with, with nutrition. For example, I love salsa dancing and I oh. love playing golf. You know what I mean? And, and then picking up these other activities like, well, oh, and I love sketching and it's not Mm -hmm. that I do all of these things a ton um, as much as I'd like to do them but just keeping things that are just very diverse from from the nutrition you know focus sure and purely for your enjoyment that don't have any it's not related to work it's not like there's no reason to do it other than no when I duff the golf ball there's no (laughs) implication no one is benefiting from that other than you (laughs) yeah it's like it's not a big deal I can just pick out another (laughs) ball and keep going (laughs) there's no pressure oh that's awesome okay how about one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health we have a hard time implementing it or something you're working on yeah, I, I prone to uh, tend towards um, not always having the best work-life balance, mm-hmm. um, and definitely kind of fall in that kind of high-stress camp. You know, I think any of the you know people that want to be super productive and hardworking tend to have those tendencies. Yeah. So I definitely align there, and um, you know, I think I've gotten better over the years, but I still think it's always kind of checking me and like, well, am I just stressing about something I have no control over? Mm-hmm. And, and I do think a daily meditative uh, meditation practice would uh, behoove me. And I've, I've gotten into headspace a little bit. I'm not consistent with it. So if I could just mm-hmm. carry that consistency of exercise right. Right and diet right over to like the lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. That's where I need some improvement. It's so true. I think all of us can improve there. The, and the, we totally underestimate the impact of stress. Like that's such a huge Huge driver of our health. Um, okay, what does a healthy life look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's when your health status isn't limiting you, mm. you know? Um, and I don't want to say you don't have to think about your health because obviously you think about your health by maintaining a good diet and doing exercise and not being stressed. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's when when your medication or when your limit, you know, a physical limitation is, is not preventing you from doing what you want to do. And it could even be when your stress isn't preventing you from enjoying a meal or, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. So I I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways that, you know, if your health status can stay out of the way from, from what you want to do, that's your, that's a healthy life. I love that. (laughs) That's amazing. And I love how you said your stress isn't preventing you from enjoying a meal or even, you know, all these, we can become so obsessive about all these different health things and trying to be so perfect that then is that actually, is that actually hindering our ability to enjoy our lives and do all the other things that we were made to do? So that's a great summary of (laughs) what we've talked about today. Um, 
Okay. How can people find you and follow everything that you're doing with Optimize Me and the 800 gram challenge? Yeah. So websites, Optimize Me Nutrition, <clears throat> try to put out some blog posts periodically. Um, Instagram handles the same Optimize Me Nutrition is definitely mm-hmm. where I put um, more regular content. And then... Yeah, I've partnered with a couple platforms for the 800 gram challenge. Mm-hmm. So gyms will be able to run an 800 gram challenge um, on demand at their gym with some nice, awesome. uh, hopefully nice plug and play content yeah. and, and good scoring. And it's just a good positive community event. And that's available through SugarWad um, and hopefully another platform to be announced soon. Awesome. Well, we look forward to following you. And thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It was really fun getting to chat about all of these different nutrition topics yeah it was fun thank you julie hey there thanks so much for tuning into this episode ec and i covered a ton of ground in this conversation and one of the things i love about ec is how she really translates the latest science and research into practical advice for everyday people We want to know what are some of the biggest challenges you face when it comes to your day-to-day nutrition let us know on social media using hashtag pursuing health To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by a company that's made my life significantly easier, and that's Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online marketplace, and they're on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. It allows you to shop for thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below retail prices. But as a Pursuing Health listener, you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase, plus a free 30-day trial if you visit www.thrivemarket.com forward slash ph. My husband Danny and I have been ordering from Thrive Market for years and it's helped us to maximize our efficiency with grocery shopping and meal prep in the midst of our busy schedules through medical training. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items, things like nut butters, cooking oils, snacks, dressings, coffee and tea, even personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, and non-toxic beauty products. We know that they're coming from a curated list of products we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, ketogenic, gluten-free, non-GMO, sustainably farmed, fair trade certified, or any of 80 plus other types of products, you can easily find them by filtering on Thrive Market's platform. And they're all at prices 25 to 50% below retail. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep so you never have to worry about the time or hassle of grocery shopping. Here's a few other reasons to love Thrive Market. First, they're the very first company in the country to go 100% zero waste. All of their packaging, boxes, and inserts are made from recycled paper and are recyclable themselves. They're the largest retailer in the country that sells exclusively non-GMO groceries, and more than 70% of the Thrive Market catalog cannot be found on Amazon. It provides greater access to high-quality products at prices comparable to conventional products in supermarkets. This helps to decrease the barriers to healthy living for everyone. 
We also have the opportunity to vote with our forks every single day to change our food environment in this country. And Thrive Market can help us do so by supporting companies that are also working towards this mission and producing high quality, healthy and sustainable foods. So that's why I love Thrive. Thrive's mission again is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone. And this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it's been such a lifesaver for me, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you. And they've responded with an amazing offer. So once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to receive 25% off your first purchase plus a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. Why not try it out and do your grocery shopping from home this week? I hope you can take advantage of this offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to learn more. No discount code necessary. Just shop around and the discount will be applied at checkout. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork directly to your doorstep. Now, I think meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there's a huge, huge difference when it comes to animals raised in feedlots that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised, fed their natural diet, and never given growth hormones or antibiotics. ButcherBox gives me some peace of mind, knowing that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and that it will taste amazing. They allow you to order curated or custom boxes of meat, and they always come with recipe ideas for you to explore. My husband, Danny, and I are super excited about firing up our backyard grill this summer to enjoy our ButcherBox selections with tons of vegetables from our local CSA. And you can join us. ButcherBox is extending an awesome offer to you for listening to Pursuing Health. Just head to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie for $20 off your order plus a free order of their delicious bacon. Again, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Julie. Hope you can check it out and that it makes your life a little bit easier just as it has done for us. 